0: she from <laughs> namaste saraswati <laughs> deve gauravani <laughs> patrani nibhase sisini we set at the turny shri Sri, shri rupam sagana she, Radha Krishna, Padamasa, Magana, Bali Ta, Shri Vishakam, Tanj Chow. Jai Jai, Shri Chaitanya Jayanichananda. Jai Jai, Shri Chaitanya Jayanichananda. Jai Jai Jai, Shri Chaitanya Jai 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 jaya Jai 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 September 26, 2010, in Radha Dash, reading from Chaitanya Charitamrita, Madhya Chapter 19, The Lord Instructs in to Goswami. Here is the section where Chaitanya Prabhu is speaking about the Bhakti Vata Vija. That analogy was started in text 151, today we're reading 153. Upajya bale lata brahmanda badi ayam. Upajya bale lata brahmanda badi ayam. Uh, mm-hmm. Virajya brahma lokabadi pada vyoma. Upajya bale lata brahmanda badi ayam. Upajya Vedi lata Raman, Raman Ya yapa- Vedhi, Yaya, Vaidya Vaidya Brahma Loka Vedhi, Paravyo can't read it. That's a problem. Can any of the ladies read Patiya being cultivated, being cultivated, Vajay. Increases, Increases. Lata, Lata. the creeper of devotional service, the creeper of devotional service. Ramanda, Ramanda, the whole universe, universe. Devi, penetrating. penetrating, Yaya, Yaya. goes, Virajah, Viraja. the river between the spiritual world and the material world. The river Brahma-loka. Brahmaloka, the brahma effulgence, the ithi, penetrating, aravyoma. aravyoma, the spiritual sky, the spiritual sky. Haya, Haya. Haya. Attains. attains. Translation As one waters the bhakti lata bija, the seed sprouts. What does bhakti lata bija mean, literally? The, creeper of the, the, seed of the, the seed of the creeper of devotion. So, bhakti is love and devotion, lata is a, a vine, a creeper, and bija is a seed. As one waters the bhakti lata bija, the seed sprouts, and the creeper gradually increases to the point where it penetrates the walls of this universe and goes beyond the viraja river between the spiritual world and the material world. It attains brahmaloka, the brahman effulgence. And penetrating through that stratum, it reaches the spiritual sky and the spiritual planet Golok Vrindavan. Okay, I'd like to go back just and read the last two, the last two translations. According to their karma, all living entities are wandering throughout the entire universe. Some of them are being elevated to the upper planetary systems, and some are going down into the lower planetary systems. Out of many millions of wandering living entities, one who is very fortunate gets an opportunity to associate with the bona fide spiritual master by the grace of Krishna. By the mercy of both Krishna and the spiritual master, such a person receives the seed of the creeper of devotional service again, Bhakti Lata Nija. When a person receives the seed of devotional service, he should take care of it by becoming a gardener and sowing the seed in his heart. If he waters the seed gradually by the process of shravan and kirtan, hearing and chanting, the seed will begin to sprout. In today's translation, as one waters the bhakti lata Vija, the seed sprouts and the creeper gradually increases to the point where it penetrates the walls of this universe and goes beyond the Viraja River between the spiritual world and the material world. It attains brahma the Brahman effulgence, and penetrating through that stratum it reaches the spiritual sky in the spiritual planet, the Loka Pindavan. Before we read the purport, I'd like to just see if we can remember so far the steps in this analogy. So, what happens first?
1: Shradha. No?
0: Hmm? Shradha. Shraddha. Shraddha. Shradha? Well, yes, but in the analogy. By the mercy of Guru and Krishna. Mercy and Guru and Krishna. Who gets the mercy and Guru and Krishna? A fortunate soul. So first you have to be... First First thing is, you're, you're, before you're fortunate, you're doing what? Some, uh, some bias activities. Well, maybe. From under the... From okay. You're traveling through the universe. You're traveling through the universe. You do some bias activities, some simple. So first you're traveling. <coughs> first you're traveling. Okay? The next thing, that's the next step. You become... Fortunate. fortunate. Mm -hmm. And then when you're fortunate, you get what? What's the next thing that happens? You get mercy. You get mercy. And the mercy in this analogy takes the form of a... From the spiritual master and Krishna. You get a what? C. C. You get a C. Who here has ever planted a C? Anybody (laughs) ever planted a C? I'm sure when this analogy was given... Pretty much everybody can mm-hmm. planted seeds. Okay, so you take this seed and then what do you do? What's the next step? You have to what? You have to Before you water it, you have to you plant it. it, plant it. <laughs> so, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, when a person receives the seed of devotional service, he should take care of it by becoming a gardener and sowing the seed in his heart. Mm-hmm. So Guru and Krishna give the seed, you're wandering you become fortunate, Guru Krishna gives you a seed, and then you plant it. Next you? You water it. Okay, now in today's verse, what happens when you water a seed? You all remember from science class way back when, when you watered seeds in the school? What do they do? They sprout. Okay? And then, after it sprouts, it starts growing. Okay, now what kind of a, a plant is this again? Bhakti. It's a bhakti plant. But what kind of plant? Alata. Alata, Alata is a? Creeper. Creeper. Vine. creeper. Vine. Now what does a vine need? A tree or something. A yes, that needs to grow onto something. It needs to grow onto something. So when you plant a seed that's of a vine, what is it imp- who here has ever planted a vine of something? Who's ever planted a vine of something? Okay. So, when you plant something that's a bush, or like a little pepper plant or a marigold, it just expands sort of round it. But when you plant a vine, a watermelon, cucumber, pumpkin, what does it do? It spreads all over the place. It spreads all over the place, right? It's searching for... Shelter, searching for shelter. So this bhakti lata, where does it start growing looking for shelter? Where does Chaitanya says it's growing? In the heart. In the heart? But it grows out of the heart here. <laughs> where does it go grow to? It goes all the way to the Viraja River, which means first to get to the Viraja River it has to cross the has to cross the entire material universe. And then it has to go through the? The shell. shell. Veda means penetrate. It has to go through the shell, and then it comes to the Viraja river. And then it has to do what? The cross the river. Mm-hmm. And then? then's then ends in the Brahmajyoti. Yes, and then? Spiritual sky and then below Vrindavan. That's where we're ending today. So you arrive at some journey, huh? It's like you may take a journey to Vrindavan on this planet. So you've got to first have the desire and you have to earn the money for your ticket, and you buy your ticket, and then you've got to drive to the airport you've got to penetrate through the barrier of the security. <laughs> <Visa>. <laughs> you
1: got to get your visa. Some
0: of you just went, and got a visa. And then, you know, you have to go through the whole material universe, practically speaking. <laughs> go through the higher, middle, and lower planetary systems. And then finally, you reach, you come to the spiritual sky, you come to Mantra Mandala, you come to Golok Vrindavan. A creeper generally takes shelter of a big tree, but the bhakti lata being the creeper of spiritual energy. So, this is the creeper of what? Spiritual Spiritual. Spiritual energy. Uh, Srila Prabhupada, in a number of places, of course, we all know her expansions of Krishna. Am I talking slowly enough today, sir? Or am I still too? You know, I'm talking so fast he doesn't even know that I'm asking a question. I will try to be slower. So, I get so excited when I'm not giving a translated class that I can speak at my speed. (laughs) Just slow down. Okay, so Prabhupada generally talks about how we're expansions of Krishna, but there's many places where he says that we're expansions of Aranjana. That we are all spiritual energy, and Prabhupada is saying here that this bhakti creeper is the creeper of spiritual energy. Being the creeper of spiritual energy, cannot take shelter of any material planet, for there is no tree on any material planet that the bhakti mata creeper can utilize for shelter. And that, so, this wherever spiritual energy cannot take shelter of anything material. In other words, now Prabhupada is defining this in a very interesting way. In other words, devotional service cannot be utilized for any material purpose. Devotional service is meant only for the supreme personality of Godhead. Sometimes men with a poor fund of knowledge, this is one of Prabhupada's favorite expressions, poor fund of knowledge. So it's a very polite way of saying you're an eager Instead of saying to somebody, you don't know anything, you say, well, you kind of have a poor fund of knowledge. <laughs> Sometimes men with a poor fund of knowledge maintain, they don't have much in their knowledge, bank account, maintain that bhakti can be applied to material things. Also, so if you've ever seen the Indian movies of Mahabharata, which, by the way, are very good movies, but they put the director, the producer of the movies liked to put words in the mouths of the characters that didn't come out of the Mahabharata. And even concepts that weren't in the Mahabharata. And he constantly has Vishnu talking about desh praying. What desh is? Place. Nation. Praying for your country. So people think like this men with a poor fund of knowledge maintain that bhakti can be applied to material things also. In other words, they say that devotional service can be rendered to one's country or to the demigods, but this is not a fact. Devotional service is especially meant for the Supreme Personality of Godhead and is beyond the material range. There is a river or causal ocean between the spiritual and material natures, and this river is free from the influence of the three modes of material nature. Therefore, it is called Viraja. The word V vi means Vigata, completely eradicated. And the word means the influence of the material world. So, when we Mahaprabhu, he talks about separation from Krishna. He says, Viraj, he uses this word vi to mean separating. On this platform, a living entity is completely free from material entanglement. So this is the platform of liberation but not yet devotional service. Viraja once free from Rajaha. For the Jnanis who want to merge into the Brahman effulgence, there is Brahmaloka. Bhakti Lata, however, has no shelter in the material world, nor has it any shelter in Brahmaloka, although Brahmaloka is beyond the material world the bhakti Lata increases until it reaches the spiritual sky where the loka-vindalna is situated. As one waters the bhakti-lata, the seed sprouts and the creeper gradually increases to the point where it penetrates the walls of this universe and goes beyond the viraja river between the spiritual world and the material world it attains Brahma Loka, the Brahman effulgence, and penetrating through that stratum, it reaches the spiritual star and the spiritual planet, the Loka I'm just thinking of the book cover for Easy Journey to Other Planets. When you see the shaved-up Brahmachari with his choppy beads going through the material universe? Remember that? Have you all seen that cover? We should have it. We should have it. But, uh, from the visual. So, First thing we see from this, because this is a college town. Y'all know what a college town is. Right? Mm-hmm. When I first went to college, I went to Bennington University, which is in Bennington, Vermont. And it's a college town. The whole town is dominated by college. So here by the district, we also very much have a college town. So because this is a college town and we're interested in education, Thank you, Managers of Radha for having the center that's interested in education. So, if we want to know how to educate, and we're talking about possibly having a degree in education, we're considering it. So we want to know, what is transcendental education? And here we can see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Supreme Teacher, is using an educational technique. What educational technique is he using? a metaphor. And we see throughout the Shastra and throughout the examples of the Acharyas, they teach through metaphors. And if we also want to teach not only others but also even ourselves, metaphors are a very useful tool. We find Naryamunis, he seems to be one of the top experts at the art of metaphor. But Bhaktisyananda Sarasvati and, of course, our pro. But also frequently employed forms of metaphor, similes, metaphors, analogies, where you compare something to something else. So metaphors and analogies, all forms of analogies, they're very useful in many ways. First of all, they, make, they take something that you know. Of course, that depends on the culture. So in an agrarian culture, everyone knew about seeds. <laughs> Today, we're not sure what's a seed, what do I do with it, what happens when I put water on it. <laughs> but in that culture, everyone understood you take a seed, you have to put it in the ground, you water it, it grows. They knew what a vine was. So, oh, that's something I understand. Okay, well, the development of bhakti is something like that. Oh, okay. Because otherwise, if you try to explain some very esoteric topic, people become lost. So that's one value of analogy. It uh, takes something unfamiliar and makes it easy to understand by comparing it to something familiar. But there's uh, some other wonderful benefits of teaching through metaphors. One is that it's a lot of fun. I I once did an experiment, a failed experiment, at our Soho temple. It was the appearance or disappearance day of Madhvacharya and I decided to give a class on Madhvacharya's philosophy. About 15 minutes into the class, I switched gears, because it was hopeless. It was just, people were just (laughs) like, (laughs) what? And so, stories are fun, and we find, of course, especially in this age, Vyasadeva compiled the Mahabharata and the Ramayana, they're so much fun. There's just philosophy. I remember when I first I was reading the Gita when I was a fairly new member of the Hare Krishna movement, and Prabhupada was translating the books. He'd gotten up to fourth canto, and I thought that I would never catch up with Srila Prabhupada. I was really worried that so I really wanted to, to read the books and, and keep up with Sri Prabhupada. Of course, I wasn't just reading. I had a whole study program. In those days, there were no computers, you know, we just had electric typewriters. So we had a little file box and little cards, you know, to take notes. And Prabhupada said that the best thing was to start at the beginning of the Bhagavatam and go all the way through, step by step. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. But the the second canto, a lot of the second canto, was very difficult for me. It was all this complicated philosophy and time according to the movements of the atom. It's like, what? world, was talking about it. I was reading it just because Prabhupada said I should read it. You know, I, I can't say I understood more than you know, the ands and the thus and the us the, in the purports. And then finally I got to Lord Varaha. It was so exciting to come to a story. And I think I just read all night until I finished that whole story. And we find that also in preaching. Uh, in preaching and teaching, as soon as you tell a story, everybody is attentive. It's quite interesting. You know, philosophy people or whatever, maybe they've been texting on their phone or <laughs> thinking about what they're going to do at 10 o'clock in the morning. But when you tell a story, people become attentive. And scientifically, they found that when you tell a story, if you're a good storyteller, that people's brains go into a light trance. And you can see this as a teacher, you'll see that people, their bodies become still and they become very fixed. So it's much easier to meditate on stories than it is to meditate on philosophy. There's another advantage to the metaphor and that is that it bypasses the defense mechanism of our false ego. So if I say to you, you should be honest, you shouldn't lie, it's really bad to lie, you know, if you lie, then nobody will trust you anymore. You know, you you have all these, these, (laughs) what what is she telling me that for? Who does she think she is, you know? And I, maybe she told a lie one time too. And you know, you really could get into this whole false ego thing. Uh, uh, I'm sure we've all experienced that when we try to give instruction to somebody, in form of some kind of an admonition that usually isn't taken very well. Do we have this experience when we try to instruct somebody with a you should? And if someone tries to instruct us with a you should, is that, do we really enjoy that? But when you tell a story, nobody thinks you're talking about them. You know, so if you just tell the story of the boy who called wolf and he kept saying wolf and then there was the real wolf came and so nobody came to help him, it's just a fun story. And I'm not saying that you're a lawyer and so you can take it. Oh yeah, well, that's a great story. And one of the main ways we're having I mean, teaching a class on kind in society. One of the main ways that society transmits its culture is through stories. Uh, the, the class I'm preparing for now, sorry, we always end up bringing our stuff into the class, but I'm preparing for now a class on organizational culture. What's the mood in a, in a culture? And we're going to be looking at the organizational culture of ISKCON. Is it a bureaucratic culture where we're just trying to be efficient and follow the rules and everything's playing by the rules? Is it an entrepreneurial, inventive culture where we really encourage people to find novel ways of spreading Krishna consciousness? Is it a competitive culture, where we're saying, we're better than all the other religious systems of the world, and we're better than the materialists, or are even better than the other Bodhi and Weishnaya groups, we're better than everybody? <laughs> or is it a very caring culture, where we have a mood of a family, and if you get sick, people will come and bring you some herbal tea, and they'll take care of you? And what kind of, those are the four main kinds of organizational cultures so. What kind of organizational culture do we have? Or it's probably going to be a combination of those. And what do we like to have? I even took a little test. Reggie B. Hargaru said, Armila, find me a test on organizational culture. So I took a little test as to what I thought ISKCON is and what I thought it would like to be. I was kind of surprised at even my own feelings about it, what I thought it would like to be. But how do you develop the culture of an organization? How do you develop it or how do you maintain it? And one of the ways is through stories, especially what stories you glorify. So there are certain stories that go around ISKCON, particularly of certain devotees, both positive and negative, by the way. You form an organizational culture both by who you glorify and who you vilify. Not only who you glorify, who are the heroes and who are the villains. Who do you use as an example of someone that did something good, and who do you use as an example of someone who did something bad? And who do we glorify? Do we glorify the people who play by the rules and are part of the bureaucracy? Do we glorify the people who do something innovative? I just saw on one website, the devotee head was talking about some people who are doing innovative preaching, and all the comments were negative. And people were putting quotes from Prabhupada, you know, just stick to this, don't do any innovation. And, you know, and I thought, oh, there's other quotes too. When they were pulling in, I was they were really cutting down. Right? Or do we glorify the people who are competitive, the people who establish the supremacy of Iscon, the supremacy of Krishna consciousness? Or do we glorify the people who create a family atmosphere and who are caring? And what kind of stories do we tell about what goes on in the movement? And this creates a sense of organizational culture. So in this particular story, our sense of love and devotion for Krishna is compared to a vine, a creeper, that needs shelter, that needs some place to latch onto. And that this creeper of love and devotion, it can only find shelter in Krishna. And just like the little baby who's hungry, it needs the mother. If you have a hungry baby, then you can try rocking it and jiggling it and singing to it and, you know. But it's going to want mommy. And only when it gets mommy is it going to be happy. And we have the same situation where we're trying to give our bhakti. We all have bhakti. Bhakti is not, in one sense, when we say we get the seed of bhakti, it's really already there. It's not not really something that comes from outside. It's something that we already have, but we become aware of it. Another analogy Taitani Mahaprabhu gives is that the astrologer who tells the, the man, your father was very rich and he left you a treasure. You just have to dig for it in the right place. So we already have the treasure. We already have the seed. It's already there. But by the grace of Guru and Krishna, we become aware that we have the seed. And then we have to water it. We have to plant it. We have to water it. We have to cultivate it. Pretty soon, Chaitanya we will talk about digging out the weeds, which is kind of a heavy section. But our only shelter for this natural love and devotion—we all, we all have it. Even an animal has it. You see it manifest even in an animal that takes care of its young, or that has some love with their mate, or for their group. You know, like elephants, if one elephant is dying, all the other elephants will stay and comfort that member until they die. They won't move on. Even if there's no food or water, they'll stay with that elephant. So all living entities have this tendency, but we don't know where to put it. I we think, let me have bhakti for my family. Let me have bhakti for my country. Let me have bhakti for my society. Let me have bhakti for my job. Let me have bhakti for my pets. Let me have bhakti for my home. Let me have bhakti for my machines, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work, but we become so disappointed. And it's kind of like a vine, a, 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 a substantial vine, trying to take shelter on some something that just breaks. Have you imagined a vine trying to climb up a rotten fence? And as the vine gets heavier, the fence just breaks. So generally, we think that the problem is with the people or things of whom I try to take shelter. But the problem is that I'm trying to take shelter of the wrong things. There's nothing wrong with, you know, our other family members. There's nothing wrong with the government or the country or that. What's wrong is me that I'm thinking that this is something that it's not. That's the problem. I'm thinking that my wife, my husband, my children, my occupation, my country, my organization, my business, or even the talents I happen to have in this life, my social network, my money in the bank, my intelligence, my creativity, my artistic talents, my good qualities of being a responsible person or a truthful person or a caring person, I think that these can be my shelter. That if I just devote myself to these things, that then I'll get everything that I want. I'll get security. I'll get shelter. I'll get care. I'll get this loving reciprocation that I want. And it just doesn't work. We become disappointed again and again and again. And I think, well, let me try this one. Alright, well let me try taking shelter of my musical talents. Oh, that didn't work. Let me try taking shelter of my child. Oh, that didn't work. Let me try taking shelter of my house. No, maybe this house. Oh, this car. No, maybe this car. No? Oh, this boyfriend. No, maybe that boyfriend. And no, we keep trying. Okay? Just going within the material sphere. And then if we become fortunate, probably says fortunate means a to sukriti. You do some unknowing devotional service. That's how you become fortunate. So by fortune, then Krishna and Guru, they reveal, listen, this seed is meant for Krishna. You have a seed of love and devotion in your heart. Who are you giving it to? Develop it in the right way. Right? Pour the real water on it. Pour the water on it of hearing and chanting about Krishna. Not hearing and chanting about movie stars or politicians, or, but hearing and chanting about Krishna. And then we'll find everything that we want and we'll find everything that we want. And it's the only way we're going to find everything that we want. There is no other way to find everything that we want except taking shelter of Krishna. That's all. There's no place, there's no circumstances, there's no building, there's no person, there's no organization. There's nothing that's going to give us what we want other than Krishna. There's nothing. It just won't work. It's like you have a puzzle, you know, there's one place where each piece is going to fit. And that's where we fit. Of course, once you take shelter of Krishna, this is the the mystery, then all of a sudden you have love for everybody. If you try to have love for everybody separate from Krishna, it, it just doesn't work. It collapses. But as soon as you give that love and devotion for Krishna, then you're happy always. Then even the material world, Prabhupada says, becomes a happy place. And Krishna Prabhupada says that the materialists see this world as very aggressive, but the the devotees everything is happily situated. When I posted that on Facebook, one devotee said, oh, I thought it was the opposite. (laughs) I thought the materialists think it's a happy place, the devotees see it as aggressive. No, one who's a real devotee, one who's taking shelter of Krishna, they're happy even here. Why? Because they're not here. Material life means thinking, okay, who's gonna be my shelter now? Mm-hmm. I've gotta compete with other people for that shelter. I gotta try to get shelter from that. It's a very combative world. As soon as you have that mentality that I'm separate from Krishna. As soon as you think I'm separate from Krishna, then immediately it becomes a struggle to try to get as many of the resources that I can from the world for myself and keep them. And as soon as you realize, hey, I'm not separate from Krishna. And I'll pour nama, pour nama, pour nama, pour nama, pour nama, pour Krishna is complete. As soon as I realize, ah, oh, I'm connected with Krishna. I have everything I need. I can be happy with everyone. I can love everyone. I can be kind to everyone if I start with Krishna consciousness. So our question should be, because we see here also in this analogy, there's something that Guru and Krishna do and there's something that I do. Somehow I become fortunate by the grace of the devotees who distribute prasada and who go out on right and who distribute books. Somehow I get some fortune. Then, as soon as I'm fortunate, then by the grace of Guru and Krishna, I become aware I have the seed of bhakti in my heart, but I've got to plant it, I've got to water it, and as we'll see in the forthcoming verses, I've got to weed it. So, for whatever we want in life, however it may appear, things appear in the guise of material desires, but really what we want is shelter. Shelter means I feel secure, I feel loved, I can give love. I have meaning and significance in my life. When we think about everything we want, we're going to get that by planting and watering the seed. So how am I doing that? Our whole process of bhakti yoga, plant the seed, water it, weed it. Plant it, water it, be very simple. Plant it, okay? Then water it, weed it. Just do that, you'll find it. Because if you properly water it and properly weed it, it will naturally grow, just like an ordinary plant naturally grows toward the sun. Naturally. Plants grow toward the sun. So if we give the plant the real water, if you don't give your plant kerosene, if you give your plant real water and weed it, it will grow to Krishna. So we should be asking ourselves that at every moment, as we're doing the external activities with our body of bhakti. Are these activities watering the sea and pulling out the leaves? So thank you very much. Yes, I know I can have questions because the uh, timekeeper asked a question. Yes, we have mm-hmm. yes, So you mentioned emphasizing the taking shelter in this post that uh, it is not, nothing is wrong with the uh, different objects and subjects in which we are trying to take shelter but rather with the very idea that we are doing that. Yes. And then uh, you gave several several examples and you mentioned also spouse. So in this connection I wonder uh, because in different places it's mentioned that the wife is advised to take sheltering husband, so I wonder how does it fit in this, and uh, is, apart from from the fact that the wife is encouraged to do this, his husband actually, how does he actually take this role?
1: Mm, Thank you, it's a very
0: wonderful question. So, of course, the majority of the Bhagavatam, which was generally spoken to men, is talking about being careful with women, and every once in a while you have a thing in the Bhagavatam that talks about being careful of men. So when Lord Kipilde speaks to his mother, Devahuti, he says, if you think your husband is a shelter, then your husband is like a hunter who's calling a deer to, to their death. If you think my husband is the source of my finances, my children, my home, then your attachment for your husband will kill you. So what I've seen is that if somebody thinks, if you think my husband my temple president, my department head, even my guru, is going to fulfill all of my emotional needs and give me unlimited eternal shelter and security. You're going to be a very angry person. A very frustrated person. And you're going to end up hating that authority a lot. Because it's not real. You know, you may be the best husband on the planet, but you're not God. You can't be God. In fact, whenever if ever people try to make us God, we're very uncomfortable. You know, every once in a while you deal with some super emotionally needy person who thinks you're God. And if they if, you know, if anybody were to come to us and say, You're everything to me. You're my mother. You're my father. You're my husband. You're my child. You're my you're my teacher, you're my best friend, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're everything to me. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't I can't do it. I, I can't be everything. I mean, I I can't receive unlimited love like that. You know, if our mother tries to love us the way Mother Yusoka loves Krishna, we would run away. Mm-hmm. You haven't eaten for an hour, Krishna, you must be hungry. For Krishna. None of us could accept that kind of law. So, no one in this world is a shelter like that. So, how is the husband, the guru, the teacher, the parents, the temple authorities, how are they shelters? They're shelter in that they're giving you to your best friend. Prabhupada says, any guru who says, I'm your best friend, is bogus. No, but it's not. But still, they're your best friend because they're introducing you. So when someone introduces you to Krishna, that person who introduces you, they're also your friend. They're also a kind of shelter. They're a kind of shelter. And of course in a practical material sense, in a very limited way, obviously we have shelters. I was talking with B.B. Govinda about whether or not Iskand is a shelter. He said, well, of shelter means it's giving me food and in a place to say, so it's not my shelter, he said, but you know, Krishna is my only shelter. So it was like that. And not that you say to your husband, well, you're know, not a shelter, it's not Krishna, that married life would be totally destructive. I mean, it's like it's the same way. If the husband says to the wife, you know, you're just a bunch of blood and pus and mucus left." less. Prescriptions for miserable family. We could give a great iskensar. How to have a miserable family life all based on the shastra. (laughs) How to use shastra to destroy all your material relationships. So yeah, but that's a service. It's a service. It's your service to Krishna as a husband to take care of this jiva. That's your service. And part of your service is you better tell her she's beautiful. I don't care how old, fat, and ugly she is. <laughs> that's your service. Because otherwise she's going to feel insecure. She'll think, oh, my husband thinks I'm ugly. He must be looking at other women more are more beautiful. She'll, she'll feel nervous. That's, a, that's your service. And it's a service for the woman to say, oh, you're such a hero. Without you. That's
1: service. And also for social stability,
0: because God says men and women, women need men. There has to be some social stability, and if I'm honest, I admit, okay, I'm 20 years old, I'm 25 years old, or even I'm 40 years old, whatever it is. You know, and, and I, I need to have the association with the opposite sex. I can't function without it. Okay, fine. Let me do it in a righteous manner.
1: And if I'm not thinking my husband is my shelter, then i
0: will be looking at other So I'm practical. I'm practical. And how do I give shelter? By bringing people to Krishna. If I think I'm the shelter, then I'm a fool. What shelter can any of us give anybody? We can't even shelter ourselves. <laughs> I can't even make sure that I make the right decisions. How, am I, how in the world am I going to promise someone else that I'm always going to make the right decisions? Just trust me. And how can you? say that? I don't we can say that. But I can say, you can trust that I'm going to do my best to try to help you come to Krishna. Right? Is that Okay. If you do that, if you see all your relationships and doing this relationship to make Krishna happy, I'm teaching my students to make Krishna happy. I'm taking care of my child to make Krishna happy. I'm serving my husband to make Krishna happy. I'm taking care of my wife to make Krishna happy. Everything. I'm serving my guru to please Krishna. Happy. Then it's perfect, and then even if the other person disappoints you, you won't disappoint you because you, that wasn't where you were getting your shelter. If you're thinking I'm working to please my wife, you know what? Your wife's not always going to be pleased with you. She's not even going to always be pleased with you for the things she said; she be pleased with you for doing. Do you follow that? <laughs> but the wife may say, "I just trying to counsel work." successfully. So the wife may say, I wish my husband would be involved in some preaching work. <laughs> He's just sitting around watching TV and never does anything for Prabhupada. I wish he would do some preaching work. And then the husband gets into some preaching work. And he really gets into some preaching work. Heart and soul. Which is what she was praying to Krishna for for the last five years. And then she's calling me up and saying, my husband doesn't enough time with me. <laughs> He said, why not? He's so involved in the preaching project. I said, well, that's what you said you wanted. You know, and then when the whole thing was over, the man said to me, why should I even bother? I did what my wife said, and all she did was complain, and why should I get involved in a preaching project again? Better to watch television. And I said, well, were you doing it to please your wife? This is the problem. So if we're thinking, I'm going to please my wife, the thing you that you do something on Monday that it makes her happy on Wednesday, the same thing might not make her happy. And the same the other way, if you're thinking I'm gonna make lasagna to please my husband, he always likes lasagna. One day he comes home and says, Why are you always making lasagna? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he doesn't even notice you did a whole maha cleanup of the house, you spent five hours doing it, and he just comes to this. <sighs> Life and goes, Why isn't dinner? You know, so if you're trying to, to, if you're thinking that my happiness in life is coming from pleasing another jiva, it's just not going to work. It's really not. Gonna work. It's going to be very unhappy. And sometimes we think that, well, because the other jiva is a devotee, then it should be, you know, they should they should definitely be Krishna. <laughs> we have higher expectations for our devotee relationships. So you're thinking, I'm doing this to please Krishna whether or not this other jiva is pleased with me. That's not the source of my shelter. That's not that's not how I'm getting my needs met. I'm getting my needs met by being connected with Krishna. So that's, that's, If you can do that, you'll be happy in all circumstances. You'll be happy with everybody. You'll be happy in all relationships, all the time. And if ever you find yourself being disappointed, you'll know the cause immediately, and you won't blame the other person. As soon as you're unhappy with relationships, you go, okay, how was I trying to make this person Krishna? Or how was I trying to be Krishna for this person? or it's group of people. And then you go, oh, that's the problem. And then you don't develop this bitterness and victim thing and all this sort of stuff. And really, then you really can be happy anyway. That's the key to happiness. Krishna's a shelter, but we experience some shelter from other objects and we're not fully experiencing shelter from
1: Krishna. So first of all, I'd say I'm not sure that we're philosophically convinced. Because if I'm really convinced of something, I do
0: it. So therefore, the progression of bhakti is a progression of faith. If I'm not fully taking shelter of Krishna, if I think, well, I'm saying saying on one hand, okay, I fully believe that Krishna is my only shelter, but Krishna sometimes isn't really good shelter, and some places really are good shelter. So, do I really believe that Krishna is the only shelter? Obviously not, because then I have these contradictory ideas. So, whatever appears to be a shelter, that shelter is really coming from Krishna. This is explained very nicely. I can't remember who was the Gopis or the wise ones, Ramanas, who said that all of our family members are dear to us because you are there. You know. The reason that, we're, that we feel, oh, my husband is my shelter, my child is my shelter, my house is my shelter. They're nothing but Krishna. This is explained. What was it? I think it's the ninth chapter. Where Krishna says, "On the mother, the father, the grandson. Is that ninth chapter? Is that nine percent? Nine. And the other prophet says, our mothers, our fathers, they're nothing but Krishna. Actually, Krishna. Whatever, whatever shelter we're appearing to get, we're actually getting that from Krishna. It's just, it's just like when I was very new in ISKCON, and I just read Adi chapter seven, which was published separately from the Chaitanya Caritamrita, which Caitanya hadn't been published yet, and it was pro, it was. Prabhupada purporting Chaitanya refutation of impersonalism. And I just read it, and I said that when I read I would really take notes. this one Indian gentleman came to the Sunday feast and was arguing, and he was making all the points for impersonalism. And so I knew all the counterpoints, because I had just studied them. <laughs> and he just gave all the arguments, it was like right out of the textbook, you know. And I gave all the counterarguments. He looked at me and said, I never. So it was very easy in that circumstance for me to know that it was not my intelligence; I was just repeating. And the same way, anybody, whatever anybody, Krishna says that he's the ability of man, he's the intelligence of man, he's the strength of the strong, he's the austerity of the renouncers. Whatever splendor there is, he's that splendor. So it's really Krishna. So we have to see how really this is Krishna. Krishna's acting through somebody. And sometimes you can see it very clearly. I've never told this story before. And once I was looking in my closet. did I tell the story of the silk story? Can I tell the story? So I was looking in my closet and I said, this was before I lived that was sweet. I said, well, I only have four silk stories. It would be nice to have one more. Oh, I'd I like it to be thick and beige with an embroidered border. And how long did that thought take? Ten seconds. And I thought, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I can get all anybody a deal, but that'd be like forty dollars. I don't want to spend forty dollars on a Sorry, I already have four. And that's enough. Silly, so yeah, I don't need another That was the end of the whole thing. So thirty seconds total thought. And three days later, one of the parents picking up her kids at our school said, "Hey, okay, I have some for you." No. I said, "She hands me as if I had custom ordered it." I mean, it was beige silk, silk with an embroidered border. <laughs> and looking at the siren. <laughs> now, of course, I said thank you to the lady. I didn't just <laughs> say, "Wow, well, this is really Christian." No, thanks to you. Lady. <laughs> <laughs> but I can understand it was Christian. I mean, it wasn't very hard to understand it was Christian. So it, sometimes it becomes right in front of our face then really everything I'm getting, all the shelter I'm getting, is And sometimes it's not so clear. As far as do other, do we get shelter elsewhere? Well, yeah, in a limited, temporary, not fully satisfied way. Not the way that we really want.
1: I mean, just try,
0: taking any material, object, situation, any other person, an animal, nature, whatever, and try making it your everything. And looking for unlimited, eternal, ever expanding shelter and the fulfillment of all of your needs. And the thing will collapse immediately. You just, you just can't do it. And, and yeah, try a little experiment of taking more shelter in Krishna. Do you know what it means to take shelter in Krishna? Do you want to get a definition? Would that help? Okay. Krishna is my protector and Krishna is my maintainer. Krishna is taking care of all of my needs all the time. And all I have to do is take care of his business and he's taking care of my needs. I don't have to be in any anxiety about any of my needs ever. As part of my service, I have to give the body a bath, and you know I, I may have to buy some shoes. But I'm not thinking I'm the doer. Karta No, Nor do I think anyone else can do do Krishna is ta- Krishna is my protector. Krishna is my maintainer. He's taking care of me, just like when you were a child you fell asleep in the back of the car while your parents were driving something, and they might have carried you into the next place sleeping. You may not even know where you're going. You didn't ask for your parents, do you have a nap? Are you following that? Do you know where you're going? <laughs> Does he have petrol in the car? Are you driving You just fell asleep. Back to go. So, or, or the traditional wife who takes care of the home, who serves the husband, and trusts that the husband's going to maintain her and take care of him. That kind of trust. She's just going to take care of him. You can say, well, he might not take care of me in a way that i like. That's okay. Krishna, Raki, Keter, Raki, Krishna, Raki. if Krishna wants to give me a body that's sick and crippled and leave me on the street and leave me homeless and everybody hates me then that must be the best way to take care of me and I trust just like a good child you don't see this often the good child trusts that the medicine the parent gives is going to help them we have this kind of trust in doctors by the way if you really want to see some example in modern society of this level of trust then you go to medicine. You know, just like the was telling me, they told her, "Oh, your baby's sick. She has to get antibiotics." And she's all afraid. The baby's only two days old. After they her after the antibiotics, they said, "Now you better go to a specialist to have her hearing checked." She says, "Why?" This, she said, Does "These antibiotics can they damage your the hearing?" Oh yeah. But they don't tell you that beforehand. You know, as you think about modern medicine, where people go for their not all the body students, but in general society, people go for their checkups, and the doctor says, "I found cancer," and you didn't have any symptoms. And don't you know people who've done this? Then they have now reports that a lot of these early screening tests are not even accurate. That a lot of the times when they say you have cancer, you don't. But you know you're not going to be willing to say, "Well, probably your test is inaccurate." You know? So you go there and they say you have cancer, and if you don't get any treatment, you're going to die in six months, and you don't know anything. They just show you this, this bunch of lines and you can't read it. You don't know what it means. And they say, there's your tumor. And you go, oh, okay. You know, if they didn't tell you what it meant, you wouldn't know. And then they tell you, okay, well, now we're going to cut you open. I mean, do we normally allow people to cut us open? <laughs> you know, if Krishna says, okay, you know, you've got envy in your heart, we're going to have to cut. No, it's okay, forget it. <laughs> But when the doctors say, we have to cut, you go, know, okay. <laughs> you know, and if you don't have insurance, you got to pay all your money. pay all your money, people second, third mortgage their house, go bankrupt, borrow money from all of their relatives, sell all their possessions so they can get the treatment. And then the doctor says, okay, now that we cut you open, now we're going to flood your body with poison. And it's going to destroy your immune system, all your is going to fall out, Every time you touch something, it's going to be painful. And one devotee had to get of beads made of fabric because it hurt so much for it to touch your beads. And chemotherapy. It's going to destroy your emotions. She was telling me she became like a 12-year-old girl again. But we say, okay, sure, I'll take the poison. Right? And then we're going to radiate you. Know, I was reading about how they have this super precise radiation that just, just hit the tumor if they aim it and sometimes they don't aim it right and sometimes it destroys something else and they've got to put the shields up because it's super high power rate there was a long article in the New York Times notice. they have to put the shields up and it said if you're going to use this technology you're not allowed to look at the patient for a minute, you have to keep your eyes on the computer constantly but people are used to watching the patient not the computer, so they don't notice the shield hasn't been put up they don't notice it's aimed at the wrong place and it destroys, you mean, and it's not like instant death, it's long, painful, miserable, probably worse than the cancer movement. But they say, okay, we're going to do the latest, greatest radiation. And you don't say, how have you people been trained? You just go, okay. And you, and you trust. They're our most valuable possession, our body, you know, we, we trust on the basis of people who have some authority. But we're not willing to have one one-hundredth that Then of trust in Krishna. It might hurt. Krishna, if you take away by less than of pride and envy, it might hurt. And he says, yeah, well, we'll forget. You know, but when the doctor tells you it might hurt, you're free. So that's what it means to take shelter, Krishna. You trust and you say, okay, Lord, however you want to do this, it's okay with me. Whatever's involved with, with, you know, it's going to be worth it to get unlimited eternal ecstasy. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. You're going to take care of everything for me. You're going to take care of everything material. You're going to take care of everything spiritual. And i will just, you know, I'm just going to go with it. And my business is just how may I serve you? 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 That's my business. Your business is safety, caring. And if you do that a little bit, if you do that this much, your life becomes this much better. And if you can do that this much, your life becomes this much better. And if you can do it completely, your life becomes an unlimited festival. Do remember that taking shelter of Krishna doesn't mean that you see anybody else's Krishna. The institution, I'm sorry, is not... Guru is not Krishna. That's my body Austin. Your husband is not Krishna. You tell the president is not Krishna. Your best friends are not Krishna. The building is not Krishna. Don't try to take shelter of something that's not Krishna as if it's Krishna. You'll be very disappointed. And then you'll blame the thing. Oh, wasn't I wasn't a Krishna. It's okay. That's how you take shelter of Krishna. Very simple. All right, I should stop now. Thank you very much. Otherwise you should